Well, good morning for me, everyone. Thanks, thanks. Uh, students, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, you are dismissed. You can go to the student wing right next door. Uh, if you are newer with us, uh, then this is your cue to follow the rabble, and uh, you'll, you'll get there, I promise. Uh, so before we dive into the sermon, the message itself, I want to invite to the stage our guest services deacon, Jennifer Harbert, if you want to make your way to the stage. Uh, we kind of want to do like a little highlight. You know, this spring we kind of re-highlighted uh, the kids' ministry and then July, August kind of student ministry. And uh, it's just kind of time. You know, things are you know more back to normal. Just kind of looking around. This is the most I've seen in this room in a long, long time. So just maybe time to refocus, even reboot a little bit um, the guest services ministry. But Jennifer... Harbor. She has served as our guest services deacon for three, four years now, something like that. And she has served as my mother-in-law for just over two. So if somebody had to do it, (laughs) who didn't know that connection. (laughs) Very good. Well, uh, just a few questions for us. Uh, First, Jennifer, just tell us a little bit, how has volunteering and a heart for hospitality shaped your life personally? I was going to make my joke here and say, he said I had five minutes. That's right. Five. You know me, that's going to be hard. Um, So I come by it naturally, first off. I come from a long line of remarkable role models who taught me to serve and volunteer. Um, From my grandparents, my parents, aunts and uncles, cousins, we are just church volunteers. Um, Personally, it, it gives me purpose. I know it sounds cliche, but I know that's my gift. Every time I've taken a test at a church on where my gifts lie, hospitality is number one. And nothing else is much after that. Um, So I just know that I've been given the gift of time, which is very valuable, and all of us have it. So I was taught that, too, that if I want to take, I have to give. And so I wasn't allowed to go to youth group or anything that church, it was also giving my time to the church. So that's just how I was raised. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk guest services specifically. How important is a guest service ministry for a church like Southwest? So, yes, yeah, so I was thinking about that this week, and right away my thought is, whether you've been here 15 years or five minutes, um, the impression, we have 30 seconds to make a good impression on anybody. So the minute they walk towards our church, the first person they see is a door greeter, the lobby greeters, Um, if they make their way to the cafe, our cafe volunteers. And we don't know what people have dealt with that week or that year. And it could be anything from family crisis, health issues, um, perhaps it's somebody who's never been to church before and they keep hearing about church. And what's this all about? Um, So we need to make that first impression to be genuine, caring, inviting, Um, Not overwhelmingly welcome, like scary. Um, I've been to those kinds of places where they follow you around, and we don't do that. (laughs) Um, I know, yeah, you've been there too. So, um, (laughs) uh, so that's the thing. We just, or we get people, of course, who have been hurt by churches in the past, and we want to them obviously to not feel like that here. So, for a church like us at our size, it's so important to make that first impression be completely the best that they could have that day. Very good. So um, how is our guest services ministry going right now? Like, are we okay? Are we lacking anything? Talk more. No, we're great. We are so good um, in, in the sense. I'll get to the part where I need you soon. But um, the volunteers I have now are remarkable, amazing people, um, always willing to give their time. Um, that might be our problem is that 
I get the same people who are willing to give their time, and I don't want them to burn out. Um, we've had people who have moved, people who haven't come back to in-person services yet, which I totally understand. Um, but I am having the same 10 to 15 people a lot every Sunday. Um, and so we desperately need more volunteers. You don't have to be an extrovert like me to do, well, you do if you want to be door, maybe or lobby, a little bit more extroverted. Um, not a total big extrovert. Um, so, if, but if you also are a little more quieter, but you want to serve, the cafe is a perfect place for that. Um, we like you to smile, but you don't have to interact as much because you're pretty busy keeping that coffee going. Um, but we really need more volunteers. Um, and what I'm asking people is 20 minutes earlier to get here before each service, or if you're already here for the first service and you've had a hard time getting your kids here, and I have been down that road, mm. um, stay for 20 minutes after, and by all means, get your kids involved. Go get them out of kids' men, have them greet with you. Um, and if you have teenagers, I wanted to say I'd love to have them volunteer. Uh, it's a great way for them to learn to serve in the church. Like I said, not to guilt any teenage parents out there or parents of teenagers, um, if, you, if you can let your kids have youth group time or student ministry time, whatever you call it, uh, then maybe it's important for them to learn to serve their church alongside of attending on a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. Um, we don't usually have middle school people working in the cafe, but if they want to, I will team them up with an adult so they can serve. I know they all love to work in the cafe because they want to make hot chocolate. So. <laughs> well, last piece, if someone wanted to start serving as a greeter or in the cafe, just on the guest services team, how do they get started? What do they do next? So I'm going to be here after each service today if you want to just come talk to me about it or get your information. Also, if you have our app um, or download our app, there's a volunteer section you can click on. It'll take you to um, guest services, and you can do all the stuff it tells you to do. And the next week or two, I'll get back with all of you who hopefully will sign up today or this week once you've thought about it or prayed about it. And uh, we'll go from there. And we'll do some training and stuff too, of course. That's right. Great. Well, thank you for your time, Jennifer. Appreciate it, all you do. And those. Uh, the, actually, you can uh, take that. It'll be a surprise wherever you take it. Yeah, thanks. <clears throat> <clears throat> Very good. <clears throat> well, now for the uh, message itself, uh, just a little bit on my week. Um, I am 100% this morning, but has anyone else had that thing that's like you're like just barely sick for like two weeks? Anyone have that recently? Just a, yeah, a couple of us. <clears throat> so uh, just this last, so first it was this, I'm taking on my last two-week journey. Um, so first uh, I had like, you know, sore throat for several days, then that stopped. Then I had like a fever, only a fever for like two days, then that stopped. And then early last week I just had like a, like a cough that could come out of nowhere. And it was one of those, like there are coughs and there are coughs. Like this one's like I would just be talking and out of nowhere, just like some, I could just feel my throat, some like sharp, just pressure. And then it's like one of those, like, I can only get rid of it if I just guzzle water over and over, no breaks, just guzzle water, and if I start scrambling for cough drops, that's the only way. So, I'm not worried about it, however, water here, cough drops in the back, so if you're a praying person, which I hope all of you are, just hope nothing bad happens to my voice while I'm up here. Um, but I would like to pray, uh, all of us to pray again as we dive into this uh, week two message from Love Illuminated, uh, talking this thing called obedience. So, uh, pray with me. Father, this is um, a theme, um, a topic, a, an important piece of 
uh, the Jesus-following life that we find in Scripture, this idea of knowing you, obeying you, that um, we might need just honestly just revisiting uh, or just a new relationship to this word obedience because uh, we have a, a complicated relationship with that word. So allow us to um, maybe put any guards down or hear about this for either a first time or in a fresh way, but ultimately we want to leave this room either more closely following Jesus or even deciding to follow your son Jesus for the very first time. It's in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> in, uh, when, they, when you take like preaching 101, they tend to say never, ever, ever start out with a large chunk of scripture, but guess what we're going to do right now? We're going to start with a large chunk of scripture, Psalm 145, and this is a psalm that just kind of describes God. It's adjective heavy, and we're just going to kind of get to know what is God like. Uh, so just kind of take this in. I'm going to go through it somewhat slowly just so we really get it, but get this. This is a psalm of David. He writes, great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. No one can measure his greatness. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Let them proclaim your power. I will meditate on your majestic, glorious splendor and your wonderful miracles. Your awe-inspiring deeds will be on every tongue. I will proclaim your greatness. Everyone will share the story of your wonderful goodness. They will sing with joy about your righteousness. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. The Lord is good to everyone. He showers compassion on all his creation. All of your works will thank you, Lord, and your faithful followers will praise you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom. They will give examples of your power. They will tell about your mighty deeds and about the majesty and glory of your reign. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. You're, you rule throughout all generations. The Lord always keeps his promises. He is gracious in all he does. The Lord helps the fallen and lifts those bent beneath their loads. The eyes of all look to you in hope. You give them their food as they need it. When you open your hand, you satisfy the hunger and thirst of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in everything he does. He's filled with kindness. The Lord is close to all who call on him. Yes, to all who call on him in truth. <clears throat> he grants the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cries for help <clears throat> Excuse me, and rescues them. The Lord protects all those who love him. Water and cough drop time, I guess. Hearing that psalm... Do you know God in that way? How well do you know the God described with those words? Now, in hearing that psalm, <clears throat> were you joyful that you do indeed know God and all those attributes, all those characteristics? You've experienced those for yourself. Your relationship with him is rich in those ways. Or you might hear that and be thinking, I remember a time when I felt that closeness to God, but... Maybe it's been a little while. I really can't recall a recent memory where I felt like that. Or you might be thinking, that sounds great. I wish I had that for myself, but I don't. I'm of the conviction that every human on earth has a deep hunger to know God. Now, many people wouldn't be able to voice it that way or be able to label it in that way, but I am convinced everyone has a deep hunger to really, really know God, their creator. We want to know who we are, some identity stuff. We want to know what love is. We want to know what it feels like to belong. We want to know God. I was um, watching a YouTube video earlier this week, and it was this uh, professor talking about Genesis 1, 2, and 3, when God creates humans. 
And uh, <clears throat> that word create, if I remember right, the Hebrew word is yatsar, uh, which uh, brings to mind like an artistic creation or a potter molding clay. We are God's creation. He has artistically put us together. So do we know our potter? Do we know our creator? Do we know our artist? If you're a reader, um, it might be on your shelf already. It's considered a spiritual classic just called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Um, it's one that I've read a couple times. I'll probably read it a few more times over the following decades. But uh, I pulled this quote from, again, Knowing God. J.I. Packer says, Once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place of their own accord. You know, many of us were on a search for, you know, what's my life all about? What, you know, why am I here? The argument here is, and Scripture backs this up, especially in the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, that we are here to know God. And if we're following Ecclesiastes 12, it's to know God and to keep his commands. Once we get that, life gets simpler. It makes a whole lot more sense. Well, let's talk about this uh, verb to know. It says when we know God. Whenever Scripture talks about knowing God, uh, it really comes down to experience. The word know, gnosko is the Greek word. It means to perceive through experience. It's not just a mental informative. It's not just a knowledge thing. <coughs> Excuse me. Knowing, <clears throat> knowing God is not just knowing facts about him. You know, we know, like, you know, hey, you know, God is the author of, you know, when it's said and done, these 66 books of the Bible. We know God created things. We know that he's providing for all, of, all the things that we need. We can know a lot of things about God. But as far as experiencing him, that is something else entirely. Knowing about God does not change lives. There is no life-changing thing about know, that comes with just knowing about God. Experiencing God, knowing in that way, experiencing God, that's what we're all after, whether we're able to label that or not. Well, last week, Roger said that First John that we're in for this entire series is one of the most encouraging books in the Bible. I would say it's also one of the most direct. Me and my small group that we meet on Monday nights, we were really excited for this series because we actually went through all of 1 John back in the spring, so we're like the experts we feel like on this fall. Um, but when we went through this together in the spring, our small group was like, wow, if you really get into the thick of 1 John, yeah, there's a lot of love and encouraging language, but in a few minutes we're going to talk about 1 John calling people liars in certain ways. He's real clear on what obedience is. He's real clear on what, you know, if you think you're following Jesus, but you're not. He just <clears throat> really draws these lines. He really draws these lines in the sand. <clears throat> well, let's read the first few verses of this chapter. <clears throat> By the way. My dear children, <clears throat> I'm writing to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, <clears throat> we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He's Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. We ended last <clears throat> week with those verses. <clears throat> and we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. <clears throat> if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. 
but those who obey God's word truly know, show how <clears throat> completely they love him. That's how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. So verse 3 says, if we know him, then we will obey. And we'll come back to that word obey here in just a moment. But verse 4, John uses, as promised, some very direct language. He says, if someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey God's commands, that person is a liar and not living in the truth. We can be so deceptive, can't we? We are so good at lying to ourselves. I'll even throw myself on the chopping block here. Like, I have identified as a Christian my entire life. life. But were there times when I wasn't obeying? Absolutely, and I would still call myself a Christian. You know, if you look at the stats, you know, well over, you know, 50% of the nation call themselves Christians. But yet less than 10% of America is in a church building on a Sunday morning or even watching online. There's quite a gap, right? Let me echo, even repeat what John says, that if you don't obey what God says, you do not know him. That's not Andrew talking, that is scripture talking. Let's go back to this word obedience. Obedience is the word to pay attention to in verse 3. The Greek word is toreo, meaning to keep. So depending on the version you have, you might read obey, you might read keep commandments. If you get back to the Greek, the Greek word is toreo, and it just means to keep something. We're keeping his commandments. Um, kind of bringing in some imagery, it conveys like a, a, an observant, a watchful posture. So you're like standing guard. You're like playing security guard over these commandments. You are paying close attention. They have value, and you're going to keep them well because something is precious. We're going to read just about how precious God's commands are here in a moment. But just some examples. Um, have you just ever been out in public, maybe like a coffee shop, and you got like your things all spread out, and you just really need to, I don't use the restroom and go back to the counter and you ask somebody, even a stranger, hey, can you watch my stuff? Or actually, have you been the one, just a show of hands, who has asked you, a stranger, hey, can you watch my stuff real quick? Don't you take that job so seriously. You, you put on your bulletproof vest, you bring out your sniper rifle, no one is going to touch this person's stuff. Your stuff doesn't matter anymore. You don't know this person. And by the way, no one's coming for their stuff anyway but you take that job seriously. And then they come back, they say thank you, and you're like, no problem. Every time that happens to me. Or this is what's been happening to me recently. Um, most of you may know we have a four-month-old at the house. Her name's Audrey, that's what she looks like. That's right, two guys can show baby pictures up here. <laughs> this one belongs to me anyway. So a common theme is, you know, we'll, as a family, we'll be hanging out on the couch, and Ashley has to leave the room for whatever reason, and Audrey is learning to roll, so Ashley would say, keep an eye on Audrey. Like, I won't anyways. She, she feels like she needs to tell me. I don't know why. Keep an eye on Audrey so she won't roll off, because why? I need to keep watch because <clears throat> something is very valuable here, right, at stake. That's the kind of imagery, that's the kind of um, intent behind Scripture is keeping these commandments because, hey... What God says is precious. It has value. Here it is from Psalm 19, I think it is. Yeah, Psalm 19. The instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. 
The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. So I'll ask, how are you with this obedience? How are you with keeping watch, vigilant watch, over the decrees, the commands, the statutes of God himself? Like I hinted out earlier, we have some mixed feelings when it comes to obedience, right? Because in order to obey something, then we have to admit to ourselves that something or someone has power or authority over us. Americans love that, don't we? Depending who you are, you might have a very strong connotation or relationship with this thing called obedience. Many of us have a don't-tell-me-what-to-do attitude. Spouses, you're allowed to nudge if, uh, you, <laughs> if you want to. Some of us have a don't-tell-me-what-to-do attitude. And some of that may come from an overbearing childhood where you were directed in just about everything. Maybe you were micromanaged just in your daily living. And it might just be a pride thing. Um, we, won't, we won't get on the therapist's couch on this this morning, maybe another time. But some of us, we just kind of walk through this life, hey, just a don't-tell-me-what-to-do attitude, which may be fine, like I'm all for independence, but when we take that into our relationship with God, we have problems, right? <clears throat> but then others among you might have a completely different relationship with this. You know, some of you, you might thrive when you're told what to do. You might be someone who's like, you know, you, you have good intentions, you want to help out, you want to do good things, but you just need a little direction. And in your life, maybe obedience or just being directed, you just absolutely need that. I think God can get on board with that. In fact, and when it comes to God, that's probably the posture that we all, all, all of us need to have is, God, I want to do something, I want to do anything to impact, to take more kingdom territory, to share your love in the name of Jesus with others. Just tell me what to do. Direct me. That's more of a posture we probably need around here. You also probably know, we all have households, right? We either grew up in one or have one now. Obedience is important in households, right? Especially with what young kids around. Have we found this to be true? Uh, I grew up in such a household. Um, my parents, uh, uh, grew up with my parents. They just celebrated, uh, what, 38 years of marriage. And then I have two brothers. I'm right in the middle. Two years on one side and then two years on the other. So three boys in the house, obedience is important, right? And in some cases, your house might be like this. Uh, mom has three boys. Sometimes it feels like she has four boys, just with my dad, just to give you a window into maybe some mischief side. Um, I don't know. This might communicate. This might not. Um, but I remember even before I was engaged, like, dad would just give, like, random marriage advice to me. And one thing that I remember that dad said when it comes to marriage says, uh, if you don't get in trouble at least once a day, you're not trying hard enough. Husbands, can we, can we relate to this? In my first two years of marriage, I've taken like the opposite of that advice, and it's, it's working out well. But uh, obedience it can be important even in households. In fact, it got to the point, I don't know if mom asked for this or if it was just a natural gift to be given to her, but we got her a long sleeve T-shirt that says, She Who Must Be Obeyed. Anyone else have something like this at home? I tell you what, I, here's, I, I really wanted to give something away today. I even ordered mugs, not T-shirts because it's too expensive. Um, but I, I even ordered mugs, one of these, because I'm like, surely there's a mom or a wife in here who needs one of these. But Amos was like, oh, sorry, I won't be here in time, so I canceled the order. So one of you could have been walking away with a mug this morning. She who must be obeyed. 
But I'll ask this. When it comes to your life, is God he who must be obeyed? And if not, why not? Moving on to verse 5. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That is how we know we are living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. Now you might be uh, saying, thinking, feeling to yourself, Andrew, is this a sermon about knowing God? Is this a sermon about experiencing God? Or like, is this a sermon about obeying God? And the answer is yes to all three. Scripture would hold up that knowing God and obeying God are inseparable. They're the exact same thing. You cannot separate one from the other. You might feel like it, but you would be self-deceived. John would just call you a liar. I'm not quite that brave. (laughs) Scripture would say, and does say, the only way to truly know God, to really experience him, is through obedience. So what is your relationship to obedience with God? This scripture says that we obey God because we love him. It's much harder to obey someone if you don't love them, right? The scripture says we obey God, not because we have to, not because we're supposed to, but because we love him. That's the relationship we're supposed to have. And it says that's how we know if we're Christians at all, if we obey him. If we say we love God but don't do anything he says, then we are, again, liars. We're fooling ourselves. We're out of touch. We are out to lunch on this. Now, I'll say this entire letter of 1 John, it's five or six chapters, six, I think, is great for those who struggle with knowing whether or not they're saved or not, if they're Christians or not. Now, I'll be first in line to say that we are saved by faith alone. We do not earn our way to salvation. We do not earn our way to heaven. But if you read Scripture, faith has hands and feet. It doesn't just sit there. The true marker of if we are a Christian or not comes down to obedience. And Jesus himself backs this up. This is from Matthew 7, toward the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply... I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. One of the very best Bible study tips that I received, and I hand this out to other people, is you know, kind of going through, you know, be it a chapter, a few chapters, whatever your devotional life might look like, or whenever you do uh, find time to open scriptures to see how God or the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you might, you know, things like, well, what am I supposed to get out of this? What am I supposed to learn? One of the best Bible study questions is asking yourself, what can I obey? What in here is God asking me to do, calling me to do, pushing me to do? What can I do because of what I'm reading? What can I obey here? So let me ask some obey or obedience questions. How can you obey Jesus today, this very day? You might be sitting there saying, hey, I love Jesus, I love God, but you've not yet been baptized. You know, at any one time, there are several people in this room and watching online who 
They've been thinking about it, thinking about it, and just haven't pulled the trigger yet for whatever reason. Being baptized as a show of saying, you know, I'm going to follow Jesus, give my life to Jesus for the rest of my life, giving up a self-directed life for a Jesus-directed life, that is a mark of obedience. And we do it because we love Jesus. So, do you love Jesus but have not made this essential faith step yet? If not, let's talk. You can talk about that, but just so you know, at the end of this hour, one of our elders is going to be standing right over here to talk about baptism or whatever you might want to talk about that's spiritually on your heart. Or how about this? You love Jesus, but as far as this, you know, hands and feet of faith going on, you don't really do a whole lot. You know, one of the markers of a disciple that we consider at Southwest is someone who is committed to the mission of Jesus. When I teach Starting Point Part 2 or even Part 1, I say, you know, when it comes to following Jesus, we're not meant to stay on the sidelines. We're not watching a game in the stand. We are in the game itself. So do you love Jesus but don't serve him? Or maybe a more personal thing, do you love him but the kingdom of God doesn't get any of your money? You know, at the end of August, you know, Roger, he preached on generosity and he said, it's not so much your money that God is after it's your heart and wherever your heart is you know everything else will follow so do you say yeah I love God but you hold a lot of things to yourself I could ask any questions you love him but do you so on and so forth as we're thinking about that um we're going to all obey Jesus together now in this time of communion. Hopefully you grabbed one on the way in. If not, it's not too late. While I'm praying even now on the back table, there are the, you know, uh, the, the mobile communion cups that we're all so in love with. But Jesus says, hey, if you're my followers, whenever you gather, as we do every single week, whenever you gather, do this. It's a command. Do this in remembrance of me that we are just realigning ourselves with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, that we belong to him. So I'm going to pray for us. We'll have this time, and then I'll just have a few comments to wrap up. So let's pray together. Father, please, don't even be gentle about it. Bring in this idea of, or just the thought, are we, do we really know you? Do we obey you? Do we do what you say? And are we experiencing you for the fullness of who you are? Do we, know how, do we know who you are just based on Psalm 145 that we opened with? Do we know your majesty? Do we know your splendor? Do we know your faith, your mercy, your compassion? Or have we just heard about it? Please send us, write this word on our hearts, just obey. And if your Holy Spirit needs to convict us, I pray that he does so in no small way. It's in Jesus' name, amen.
a few final comments for us. The only way to truly know God is by obeying him. A few things just kind of going on this week before we end with the final song. is I just want to bring up again just the whole Pray For Me campaign. This has been a fantastic way for different generations to pray and support and be a part of one another. That's one cool thing about the church is uh, nowhere else do you see intergenerational relationships like this. So uh, check out the website. You can access it through the app. Sign up. Uh, adults in the room, you can majorly support an entire family or kid or student just by praying for them. So please consider this maybe something a way for you to serve as well. Um, uh, we had a good work day yesterday working on the container that's outside. Um, this afternoon we're painting it, we're priming it. There's seven or eight of us. We could use four or five more. So if you're not doing anything, uh, come out around two. We're just going to prime this thing. And the more people there, the less time it takes as well. If there's any way that you want to respond to um, what I said this morning, um, in the app, there's a message feedback tab. You can just say, you know, your name, email. There's some choices in there, but also just kind of like an open comment box. Um, if you want to talk about anything or explore anything, either, you know, with you or with what I said as far as obedience or something like baptism, that is the place for it. And then also just finally this coming Thursday, if you kind of want to take that obedience toward baptism but want to know a little bit more, feel more comfortable, um, a great first stop is coming to Starting Point this Thursday Hit the Building. Our senior minister, Roger Hendricks, is going to be teaching that 7 o'clock here at the building. So if there are any number of ways to maybe take a step toward obedience or doing something. But like I said, what we're ending with, hopefully what we can all leave with, is the truth that knowing God means obeying him. So with that truth and maybe even encouragement for us, uh, let's all stand up together for this final song, and we'll see you next week.